What's up, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of From the Bench. Matt Magusa and Jack Quinn here with you. And we're coming off of a huge week in sports. Jack, how about you start us off with the big news? Matt, I have to congratulate you. Great step for the Mets this week. Acquired two great players in Lindor and Carrasco. What do you think? I've got to say, as a Mets fan, I am one of the happiest I've been in a long time. Because for many reasons. One, since Cohen came over, he said that the Mets were going to be involved in all of the big, medium, and small names. And he did not lie. He came up and he made a huge trade getting Francisco Lindor. Because he is one of the best young stars in the major leagues so far. And it's exactly what we needed. We need a leader at shortstop. We've always had a little bit of a um, hole there since Jose Reyes left. And now we've got that missing piece. He's great defensively. He's great offensively. He can fit really anywhere in those first five spots in the lineup. And he's a great personality to bring in there. And what's big for me, the biggest point for me, is that we got him for a lot less than everybody expected. We gave up Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. Andres Jimenez is probably the biggest piece that we gave up. He's 22. He really helped the Mets defensively last year, and he showed a lot of sparks offensively. But the big news is we didn't give up any of our top five prospects and we didn't give up either any of Dominic Smith, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, or Pete Alonzo. We gave up our number nine and number 10 prospects, Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green, respectively. And that is huge because we were able to keep our young core together, our big future pieces, while also uh, getting an all-star shortstop and Carlos Cookie. Carrasco, who I think is an underrated part of this deal, he had a sub three ERA last year. He's going to be a big addition to this rotation. Yeah, I mean, that deal was came out of nowhere, it felt. And yeah, I have to say, you know, this is a great look for Cohen and the Mets. And Lindor is one of those players that will help the Mets be back on the map. And he's going to change the culture. And he might also be an attractive piece to free agents like Springer and you know a player like that at that caliber a superstar like that it makes the Mets lineup even a, a little scarier to pitch against with Alonzo and Conforto yeah no it's it's a huge addition and as you were saying with the attractiveness to other uh, stars in the game we've seen in reports in the last couple of days the Mets are in talks with the Cubs about Chris Bryant and possibly acquiring him in a trade uh, we're still in on George Springer. That's a little less likely because he's now asking for $175 million around that number, which is going to be a lot of money when we just signed, when we just traded for Lindor and he's going to need an extension. We're going to need to extend Conforto and we might possibly need to extend Syndergaard after this year. So that's a lot of money that we'd have to uh, bring in for him. But one piece that's interesting is Trevor Bauer. And I know the Mets are probably not going to get him anymore based on his price tag. But throughout the entire offseason, he has been saying that the Mets organization is becoming exciting, like the way Cohen has changed the culture there. And after the Lindor and Carrasco trade, he used to be teammates with both of them back in Cleveland, and he was extremely excited about that deal. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Mets make another push at him and see if bringing in those two players helps their case to get him, and maybe they can get a little bit off of that contract and bring him here to try to help us solidify that rotation. That would be crazy with Syndergaard and DeGrom. But again, yeah. as we talked about last week, that price tag is a little hefty, and yep. and he hasn't proven himself to make that Garrett Cole money yet, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if the Mets 
go out and say, you know, screw it. Let's let's go after it. Let's win now. It's what Cohen wants to do. I don't see why you'd be upset with it. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's that's actually a big point right there that you just made. The Cohen wants to win now, and it seems like he wants to. He set out at the beginning of the off season. In the next three to five years, we're going to win a World Series. It seems like he's trying to win this year right now. With that trade, he is banking on us re-signing Francisco Lindor, possibly getting some more superstars in the next year or two. He is really banking on winning the NL East this year and trying to compete with the Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Braves right now. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, also, as you said, it's it's really interesting how he didn't trade away your top one of your top five prospects, got that trade done without giving up a lot of your young stars or potential stars. You know, that must be encouraging for a Mets fan in terms of, you know, smarter management and going forward, you must be more confident. Oh, yeah, there's no question, because if you think about it, the trades under uh, Brody Van Wagenen and the Wilpons, we gave up Jared Kelenic, who is now he's a five tool prospect outfielder, great defensively as well as offensively. We gave him up. He is now the number 11 prospect in baseball right now. He actually might have moved up even more since I last checked. But we give him up for Robinson Cano and his huge contract. Edwin Diaz, who his only good season so far has been in 2020, which is a shortened season. So we don't know how it's going to translate to a longer season. And that we gave up him. And then we also gave up Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson, who were two of our really good young pro- pitching prospects to Toronto for Marcus Stroman for half a year. Because we weren't guaranteed, obviously it turned out great because we got him with the qualifying offer this year, but there was a chance that we wouldn't have gotten him back and we would have traded away two of our top pitching prospects for that. And I think not giving away any of our top five prospects for Francisco Lindor in one of the most underrated starting pitchers in the MLB, that is huge. Yeah, that is really huge. I'm happy for you, Matt. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, so let's move on. One of the biggest games in sports this year the college football national championship Devonta Smith and the Alabama Crimson Tide versus Justin Field in the Ohio State's Buckeyes. Jack, what are you thinking about in this game? I think going to take Alabama in this one with Devonta Smith and the team they have, although Justin Fields has had a light lights out performance against Clemson. I don't know. I, I, after watching Bama play Notre Dame, I, I was really amazed, and I thought they looked really good. At a certain point, man, I was like, I think they could beat the Jets. <laughs> okay, great. You know, they probably could at this point. You don't know. Like, I know when I was making my power rankings earlier this year for football, one time I put Alabama over the Jets. So, you know, you never know. But I agree. I think Alabama's going to win this game. They are clearly the best team in college football this year, and they're just getting help. Jalen Waddell, who is another uh, projected first-round pick wide receiver, could possibly make his return to Alabama this week. Uh, He was out. He got injured earlier in this year. And Alabama, they just seem to be pumping out wide receivers the past couple years. And if he comes back, that's going to be huge for them. But I think this game is going to be really good because if we see Ohio State play like they did in the semifinal against Clemson, it is going to be one of the most exciting games of the season. Justin Fields, if he balls out again, like I don't think there's any question the Jets go quarterback anymore after his performance in the semifinals. 
But if he performs and tries to win the championship, oh my God, he is, he is, he is someone that is extremely underrated. Yeah, I agree. I think if he performs the way he did against uh, Clemson, he's definitely, definitely going to give Ohio State a better chance at winning this game. There's yeah, no doubt think, about it. Yeah, and I think this is also a huge game for Mac Jones, considering how much talent there is at the quarterback position in this draft. If he can beat out Justin Fields in Ohio State, especially if Justin Fields is playing well, that is going to be huge for his draft stock in this year's draft. So, you know, it's big for all of these quarterbacks because of how stacked it is. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how he plays and what his game plan is, especially if Waddle comes back. Because obviously his number one target has been Devonta Smith this year. With both of them back, the Ohio State secondary is going to have a lot of trouble. So now we're going to move to the NFL. And this situation has had a lot of controversy around it. And really, there's been a lot leading up to this in the past couple weeks. Jalen Hurts starting over Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz not even dressed for week 17. And in the fourth quarter, with the Eagles only down three points, Doug Peterson took out Jalen Hurts against the football team and put in Nate Sudfield, the third-string quarterback, and they ended up losing the game. Now, Jack, you're a Giants fan. Because they lost, you did not make the playoffs. How do you feel? (sighs) This type of move from the Eagles just doesn't surprise me. They always have had no class. And quite frankly, they probably saw it as a win-win just to throw the game because, one, they wouldn't get us into the playoffs, and, two, they would get a good draft pick. I am just not happy with this at all, and I'm surprised that there hasn't been any repercussions from the league or Roger Goodell because this is just not football. This is a Sunday night football game, right? And they're throwing the game on purpose. Man, I don't know. I, I'm not happy with it. Hey, hey, Doug Peterson said he was still trying to win. Come on. He put his third-string quarterback in, but he was still trying to win, man. You got to listen to him. But then there were reports uh, of, like, Eagles players actually wanting to talk to Doug Peterson yeah. about this on the sideline. You know, there were people, yeah. like, holding players back from going up to Doug Peterson. It's just – it's a crazy situation. I know earlier in the game – Uh, the announcers were talking about how Doug Peterson's job is probably safe and all this stuff, but with all the controversy going on inside the organization, how players were so surprised and like just wanted to talk to him. What do you think this says about his time there in Philly? I think the clock's ticking. He's had a a myriad of chances to bring Philly and uh, to win. And I don't know. This last week, I'm not sure if, you know, he was directed by someone further up in the organization to make these questionable decisions, but it's not winning football. It's a loser's attitude, and I don't respect it. And what do you think about uh, the Giants players' reaction to the decision? Do you think – I know that it was kind of mixed. It was mostly, like, them saying that they were throwing the game, they weren't winning – And then Logan Ryan was like, you know, obviously he was upset because they didn't make the playoffs, but he was saying, hey, we went six and 10. We don't really deserve it. So what side of that equation are you on? Well, yeah, we went six and 10 and we should have won games 
that we had lost, but look at the rest of the division. You know, it's why did mm-hmm. why does Washington deserve it over us? We're the the division is very bad. And yeah. I don't know. Yes, you could say that the Giants should have won more games. Yeah. But you could say that about any other team. And yeah. No, I think it's definitely an interesting situation. You know, now the football team's in the playoffs. But now let's go to the Eagles. Where do they go going forward? It's obviously Sudfield is not going to be the starting quarterback. We're going to we're going to put that out there right now. It it doesn't seem like they are completely set on throwing away Wentz right now, but it seems r- reports are saying that he wants out. He wants a trade. What do you think the Eagles are going to do? Are they going to stick with Jalen Hurts? Are they going to trade Carson Wentz? Are they going to have a battle for the starting QB job in training camp? Like, what do you think is going to happen? I think ultimately it'll be a QB battle in training camp, but if not, I think the Eagles should just stick with Hurts because the relationship between the organization and Wentz is too fractured at this yep. point to the point of no return. And I think for Wentz generally, just as a football player, I think would want a, a fresh start. And I think yeah. you, you talked about the Colts and uh, some other teams last week, I think. And I think he could flourish yeah. other places. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely in the best interests of both Wentz and the Eagles to end the relationship. I think Wentz still has potential to be a great quarterback. We know we've seen it in the past. I just think the relationship is fractured. Jalen Hurts has brought new energy to the team. Keep him there. Get some more weapons around Hurts. And just get rid of Wentz. Get rid of the contract. Get rid of the all the controversy behind it. Just let him get a fresh start. You guys get a fresh start. And just leave it at that. I think that's the best way to leave the situation. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, let's stick with the NFL now. To the playoffs, Browns head coach Stefanski has COVID-19 as well as starting guard Joel Bitanio. That Stefanski has been head coach of the year candidate so far in the NFL. It's going to be huge not having him against the Steelers as well as Batonio, because as we know, and we'll mention later in the show, Baker Mayfield does not do so well under pressure, no matter what the Heisman house commercial says, but I don't know. How, how do you think not having their head coach on the sidelines is going to affect the Browns? He's in the running for coach of the year and he's the heart of the team. And I think, Losing that on the sideline, the the fight he has for the team, the trust he has from his players, I think definitely will have an effect. But we'll see what happens. I I mean, what do you think? I think it's definitely going to be a loss for them. I think they just need to understand that it's the same game plan. He might not be on the sidelines, but they're still playing with the same game plan. And they've got to just execute. Because, you know, it's going to be difficult because they're going against their division rivals in the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, you know, as we've seen, the Steelers have struggled the past couple of weeks since going 11-0. It's going to be interesting. It's their first time in the playoffs since 2001. So that could also be the case. Um, it's going to be a lot of pressure on the team. And I think that's going to be the biggest reason why not having Stefanski in there is going to be a problem. Because you need a leader. And your head coach, especially a head coach that has led you to the playoffs for the first time since 2001, not having him on the sideline pregame, giving the players some confidence and everything, that's going to be huge. And we're going to need guys like Baker to step up and be leaders on this team and help them get through this game. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. But luckily, the Browns aren't without any of their star players going forward. And hopefully uh, the 
Mike Pryther, that who's serving as acting head coach, will bring that same energy to the locker room. Exactly. Now we're going to go NBA. Steph Curry dropped 62 points. And I know we've actually, we've actually seen a couple of these because Bradley Beal also dropped 60 this week. There's been some big performances. Yeah, it's, it's very entertaining to see who doesn't like scoring. As it pertains to Steph, I mean, he was being criticized for a lot of the, the beginning of the season. And the Warriors as a team had an erratic play as they had won by small more margins and had lost by large amounts. But this was a statement game for Steph, for sure. Career high against the Blazers, 18 for 31 from the field, 8 for 16 from three. And he took this criticism personally. Yeah, no, I think it's huge for him. Um, you know, they've had a tough – last year was tough. This year's going to be tough. No Clay Thompson. Their first two years after KD left. It It's tough. And I think Steph going out and scoring 62, that just gives him and the team confidence that they can still do this without Clay, And that Steph is still one of the best players, one of the best shooters in the NBA – no question about it. I, I just think it's a big statement game for him and for the Warriors and just gives them a little more confidence going forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Matt, just moving back um, to football, Trevor Lawrence has declared for the NFL draft. What are your thoughts on this? I, You know, I think everybody anticipated this. We know he's a junior. He still has another year, but he's a generational talent. He's going to be the first overall pick. And as you've mentioned before, Nothing's guaranteed, but um, I, I think there's no question that he's the first overall pick right now, and it's going to be huge for Jacksonville. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, who knows? With Justin Fields in, in uh, the championship game, he could perform. He, he could fall to the Jets. Yeah, you know, I would love for the Jacksonville Jaguars to mess this up. I would love it, you know. As much as Justin Fields is, you know, great, it's Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, if they mess it up and we get Trevor – I'd be completely fine. I'd love Trevor to be in New York. It would be great. But, you know, we're going to predict that he goes to Jacksonville here and continue on this conversation. The Jaguars fired their head coach, Doug Marone. They're getting their franchise QB and Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be the future of the franchise, generational talent. What is next for this organization for them to continue to build on top of these new additions? With this, it's I know I say this a lot, you know, changing the culture really is. And – when you get a franchise centerpiece like Trevor Lawrence, we think at least, mm-hmm. they're going to build around him and they're going to find pieces to put around him in that offense at least. And then from there, they're going to build out from, from it. And I think just establishing the floor and the foundation of their franchise will really help them in their development to actually become competitive again. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to build around Trevor They've got another first-round pick this year. I think it's going to be big uh, that they get him some protection on the offensive line and then go and get him some weapons. I think that's going to be big because if they can build their offense, then they're pretty much set. All right, so now, Jack, let's get deeper into discussion and go into some of our major topics. And let's start with the NFL playoffs. Super wild card weekend, Saturday, Sunday. We'll start off with the Saturday games. we got Colts-Bills. Rams, Seahawks, Bucks, Washington. And Sunday, we've got the Ravens, Titans, Bears, Saints, and Browns, Steelers. It's going to be a great weekend. First weekend of the playoffs. And 
you know, let's just talk about some of the impact players for each game. And we'll start off Saturday. And I know when our podcast comes out, because we pre-record this, the Colts-Bills game is going to be on when it comes out. But, Jack, let's start off with the Colts and Bills. Who is your impact player? I think we both can agree on this, unless you do have a different opinion. But (laughs) (laughs) Josh Allen is definitely the impact player. And that's the reason why I'm going to take the Bills in this one against the Colts. Just a part of the fact that he's been a great leader in how consistent the team has been. And he's just been playing like an MVP the last couple of weeks. Oh, there's no question. In his past five games, he's had a 15 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. He has been outstanding. And, you know, it, it was a little questionable at the beginning of the season because, you know, over the past couple of years since he's been drafted, he's been a little bit inconsistent. We've always seen the flashes of greatness, and he's been a great QB, but he hasn't really brought out his MVP side until these past couple of weeks. And I think if he can continue doing that, he is going to bring this Bills past the Colts and possibly further into the playoffs after that. He is going to be the key to this team's success during the playoffs. So now we'll move on to the Rams versus Seahawks. And I don't know, this was an interesting one to me. I chose Jared Goff as the impact player because it's going to be huge. He had surgery on his hand before week 17 last week. And you know, his status is questionable. We don't know if he's going to come. So we could have John Wolford, who started in week 17 for the Rams, playing in the playoff game against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. And I think you you need your starting quarterback in this situation. And that's why I've got Goff in as the impact player, because if he plays, the Rams have a much better chance at winning, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, but for me, I, I think Russell Wilson, the combination of Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf, even along with Pete Carroll, I think just gives the Seahawks the upper hand in this matchup. And given the fact that Jared Goff, like you said, is questionable for this game, I don't know. It, it, things are looking good for Seattle. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's definitely going to be in Seattle's favor. But something we got to figure out is what Russell Wilson are we going to see? Because uh, the Rams have shown they have a great defense, great pass rush. Their secondary is outstanding. In the past couple of weeks, Russ has been very turnover prone. And if he turns the ball over, it's going to be very difficult for them to win this game because even without golf, that offense is dangerous. The Rams offense is very dangerous. And if their defense can hold the Seahawks to minimal points and a lot of turnovers, we, we could see, even with Wolford in there, the, the Rams could end up winning this game. So it's really going to come down to how Russ plays this week and to decide whether they win or not. Yeah, I agree. And the Seahawks have been type of team this year. You don't really know what you're getting when you play week to week. They haven't been that consistent. So I really agree with you in that point. If the Rams bring it on the defensive end and Russell Wilson is turning it over, they do – definitely have a better shot at at winning this thing yeah for sure and now for the nightcap on saturday tom brady and the buccaneers versus chase young and the washington football team and i think how i'm going to introduce this is after their win against the eagles we heard chase young screaming i want brady and that's going to be the key it's not just chase young but that washington defense That defensive front, which includes Chase Young, 
needs to bring it to Tom Brady in that offensive line. Because as we've seen, they don't have a quarterback. They have some good weapons on offense, you know, Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick, Terry McLaurin, but their offense will not be able to get much done in my opinion. I don't think they're going to be able to against that defense. So the football team's defense is going to have to rush Brady and get to the quarterback because they need to hold them to as little points as possible if they want a chance to win this game. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And with Washington's football team, without their offense being, you know, top-notch, I I am picking the Buccaneers and Tom Brady and and his star-studded offense with Gronk, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans. I don't see how they lose this game. But Washington has been a team that all year has been able to pull out these great wins, and, and they've had momentum these past couple weeks, with exception to last week, which I don't really count as a win. <laughs> as a Giants fan, I, I can't. But I think this will actually be a good game. You know, But Tom Brady's definitely the X factor, and that offense is, is unstoppable. You know, I agree. And I mentioned this in the last uh, episode that – I apologized to Brady and to all of his supporters because, you know, I didn't think he had it in him, but you know, he's not, he got into the MVP race. You know, he's not in the top three because of how Mahomes, Rogers and Allen have played this year, but he has been outstanding. And he, that, that's why I think that the defensive front of the football team needs to be on the top of their game because he is the X factor. If they don't put pressure on him, if they don't, force him to make quick throws and make him make risky decisions, he is going to walk right over that defense and lead the Buccaneers past them. No problem. Yeah, for sure. I I agree there. We'll see what happens. It's Tom Brady. He's the goat. No question about it. So now we got Sunday. We're going to start off with the Ravens and the Titans. This is going to be, in my opinion, a good game. Uh, Jack, who's your impact player? I'm going with Derrick Henry. After rushing for 2,000 yards on the season, it's definitely the X factor for the Titans offense, and he's straight up a tank. And with the Ravens, they haven't had the best consistency on defense, so I'll be interested to see how they attempt to contain him. And I, I to be honest, I think he will have his way and will wield the Titans to another win. Yeah, I, in my opinion, I, I think the Titans are going to win this game. Derrick Henry is just going to be too much. You know, Ryan Tannehill has been outstanding this year as well. That passing game has gone to another level. For me, the the Ravens have a chance in this game. They are a very good football team. They've got the weapons they need. And what they need to win this game is they need MVP Lamar Jackson. And we haven't he hasn't been the same player this year. He's had 26 passing touchdowns, nine interceptions, only 33 total touchdowns. But in his last five games, he has had 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, and four rushing touchdowns. And they have been 5-0 and in those five games. That is what they need in order to win this playoff game against the Titans. If he does not show up like he has in the last five games, they do not win this game. There's no question about it because that rushing attack of – Tennessee is almost unstoppable. So they need MVP Lamar Jackson to show up. Otherwise, Tennessee is going to walk right over him. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Lamar Jackson is is the X factor for them. Without Lamar Jackson on that offense, they can't get anything done. And once Lamar Jackson is in the red zone, you know he's going to score. So 
I think the, one of the keys for the Titans is just containing him as well. And All right, so now we got Chicago Bears versus the New Orleans Saints. Jack, this seems like it could be a very one-sided game, depending on how this goes, but who, who do you have? I'm taking the Saints. It's Drew Brees. It's going to be a walk in the park. Who's your? Who do you think is going to be the player to watch, and why is he going to help the Saints win? I think Kamara would be the player to watch for the Saints just because of how talented he is and how dynamic a player he is on the offensive end because he can hurt you in so many different ways. Yeah, for me, again, I think the Saints are going to win, but I think the person to watch, he's not a player. He's the coach, Matt Nagy of the Bears. And I think he's going to be huge for them in this playoff game because what he's been able to do with Mitch Trubisky. And we know Mitch has struggled so far in his career. But the last couple games, he has been a great, not a great quarterback, a great game manager. And that's because of what Matt Nagy has done with the offense. I know I've been hearing about this a lot. They've been running a lot of play action, keeping it to keeping Mitch to one side of the field. So he doesn't have to scan the entire uh, focus of it. And I think that's what they're going to need. If Matt Nagy can come up with a great game plan against an amazing Saints defense, they're going to have a shot. And that's all they have. They only have a shot. The Saints are a much better football team. They're great all around offensively, defensively, through the in the passing game, in the rushing game, whatever it is. They've got the upper hand. But if Matt Nagy can put together a good game plan for Mitch Trubisky and their defense can hold the Saints back just a little bit, they could have a chance, but I am taking the Saints in this game. Great points there, Matt. Now transitioning to the last game of the weekend, Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cleveland Browns. Matt, who do you have as your X-Factor player? Okay, for me, it's kind of a mix. It's the Steelers' defensive line versus Baker Mayfield. And let me explain for a second, because the Steelers' defensive line is one of the best in the NFL. They put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks. And they have been a problem in the NFL. And why that's so big is because Baker Mayfield, he's a different quarterback under pressure than he is with a clean pocket. And based off of pro football focus calculator after week 11, Baker's passer rating with no pressure was an 85.4. But with pressure, it dropped significantly to 32.7. And that is a huge drop when you go from a clean pocket to under pressure. And that's going to be huge for the Browns because if they want to win this game, they need Baker Mayfield to be on his game and they need him to be, you know, Baker Mayfield. They need him to be the big shot. They need him to ball out because the Steelers defense is very good. And without Stefanski, they're going to need that extra motivation. But if that Steelers pass rush can get to Baker, get him under pressure, get him uncomfortable. I don't know. Based on the statistics, it won't be good for the Browns. Yeah. I, I see those points, but I'm going to take the Browns on this one because I think with the success of their rush attack this year, you know, yes, given the fact that the defensive line of the Steelers is so good, but given the combo of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, Cleveland finished the regular season as the third best rushing attack in the league, around 150 yards per game, and finished top five in yards per carry and rushing touchdowns. And I think if the Browns do play to their strength, and as you said, you know, Baker Mayfield might not perform under pressure, but if the Browns can get it going on the ground, I don't see why they can, can't win this game. And, you know, the Steelers haven't been playing great football the last couple of weeks. They've been losing games to bad football teams. And 
we'll see what happens. But I'm going to take the Browns in this one in their first playoff appearance since 2002. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the Browns are going to come out with the win in this one. But it is going to be a huge game for Baker because it's his first playoff appearance. And, yes, their ground game is great, and they're going to rely on that a lot. Baker needs to show out. He needs to prove the haters wrong. He needs to show people that he can win in the playoffs. And it's going to be a huge game for him, especially without Stefanski. But no, I agree. I think the Browns are going to end up coming out on top here. Yeah, and that being said, I have to tip my cap to Baker this year. I think he really proved a lot of people wrong. And he came into the season with a lot of criticism surrounding him and his role on the team. And he helped to lead this team to the playoffs and he's performed in big games and I think he can get this done. Yeah, no question about it. So now switching gears here to the NBA, we have a new segment here on From the Bench where Matt and I have put together a list of our top five NBA players in the league to compare with our guest list. And this week, our first guest on the show ever, we have Kenny Lamb joining us. Kenny, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. How are you guys doing? Doing Doing just well. well. Good, good. Well, yeah, so, Jack, first time doing this. How do we want to do this? Should we start off with our guests, number five? Let's do that. All right, Kenny. Interesting. Get started. All right. I'm loving this topic. Thank you guys for having me. So, at five, um, I have the claw, Kawhi Leonard. I was debating a couple other players for this position, such as uh, James Harden and Steph Curry. Um, I partially left them off just... Um, based off how they've started this season. I mean, Curry obviously is dealing with a lot of a lot of injuries to his roster, and it's the first time in a couple of years we're seeing him like with a depleted like supporting cast, and he's got to like carry that support. And he's he they dropped sixty within the last week, which was I was very hype about. Just got to see more from him and like get back to that like MVP type of playing level. And Harden, I mean, all that controversy that happened throughout the um, first part of the season just. I don't know. It's it's kind of like boggling my mind and his his rockets are just I don't know. They're all over the place, but he's still dropping numbers. 40 plus points. One of the best scores we've ever seen in history. But just getting on to Kawhi Leonard. I mean, every single year, I feel like he's been improving his offensive game while maintaining like lockdown defense, you know. Um, and just one of arguably the best two-way player in history. Uh, guard one to five. And it's just effortless i mean alongside his very you know low-key demeanor and not like flashy play i just have a big appreciation for that and he gets it done on the court so i have him at five how about you guys you know there's no question Kawhi leonard is one of the best two-way players in the nba and we had him as one of our honorable mentions but for us our number five was Nikola Jokic, the joker you know he is he is turning into one of the superstars in the NBA so far this season. He's averaging a triple double at 26, 11, and 11. And he's been one of the best big men in the NBA. And he doesn't even play like a big man. He like he passes the ball, he rebounds, he shoots, he's great defender. He's one of the best players in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, uh, we put Jokic at five, just given the way his game has progressed this la- these last couple of years. And just generally, he's a center that can do it all, as Matt said. And Kenny, I know this makes you happy as he's one of your favorite players. He's just a guy that can change the game in so many different ways. And that's what makes him so valuable. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I would have loved to have him in my five as well. Like I, whenever I do make these types of lists, like I usually go to 10 and like, I always have him like scraping nine or 10, 
like you're right, Matt, like his numbers this season so far are off the charts. I'm very, very happy um, to see this. We haven't seen a passing big man like this since like the likes of KG and Chris Webber back in like early 2000s. And even then they weren't at this caliber, averaging like double digit assists, being a, a, a playmaker on the floor every single time. It, it's just crazy. I just, I want to see him, you know, keep this consistency throughout um, throughout the season and the playoffs. I've always like seeing him have maybe a shaky start in the beginning or just like slowing down during the playoffs when they really need him to. But if he can keep these consistent numbers up and his play up, I, I completely agree with this number five ranking for Nikola Jokic. So. Yeah, no, there's no question. If he can keep it up the way he's been playing, he he's going to solidify his spot in the top five. And we've seen in the bubble and at the beginning of this season that he has been that kind of player, you know, Jack and I were talking about this when making this list. There were a bunch of other players we could have put in this spot. We already mentioned Kawhi, Steph Curry, Dame, Anthony Davis. Any of them could have made it into this uh, list at the number five spot. But it's just the way Jokic has started this season. I I think that has really propelled him up uh, the board. And Kenny, even addressing James Harden, you know, he's the type of player that, you know, he's one of the best scorers in the league. He's without a doubt, probably the most talented scorer we've seen in NBA history. But does he affect the game the same way that Jokic does? It's debatable. And Jokic is a winning player. You can say all you want about Harden, but he hasn't proven to me that he can win. And actually, you know, he's played with so many different players. This is a different topic, but Harden is different than Jokic in the fact that Jokic is a team player. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, you can, like, just watching their games, um, just, you know, Harden's just dominating, like, with ISO-style play, while Jokic really does move that ball very well, like Mike Malone wants him to for Denver. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Harden's, Harden and Jokic are two different players, for sure. Yeah, so let's keep going. We're going to move to number four. Kenny, who do you have in your number four slot? All right, this is a, a maybe a semi-hot take, you know, considering his accolades and just his current standing or just like reputation in the league right now. But at four, I have the reigning uh, defensive player of the year and most valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I'm just going to get out of the way real quick. I, I'm not the hugest fan of his game. I have massive respect. He's definitely a talented player. Um, the only reason I don't put him higher than four is that I – I just really need to see more from him. He has all the physical attributes you would want out of a, a player that's what mid mid early twenties right now. He's has so many years ahead of him, but I I just really need to see him progress a little more in terms of his offensive game. Sure, his slashing ability is crazy. I mean, we haven't seen anybody be able to like spin in the lane and just complete like baskets the way he does. But you know, as as everyone knows, he needs to develop his jump shot. Um, Sooner or later. Again, he has a lot of time to, but his inability to shoot from both the field and the free throw line will cost him games, uh, such as I think it was one of the first games of the season. He uh, choked at the free throw line against my Boston Celtics, which I was very happy about. But uh, just like little things like that, that can cost you a game. It could cost you uh, moving on in the playoffs, such as that. So I just want to see a little more from Giannis. But there's no doubt. Great defensive player, always hustling, has like impeccable heart and passion for the game. And uh, I have him at four. All right. So now for us, we went with Luka Doncic, who he, he's one of the best uh, players in the game right now. Jack, why, what do you think about Luka? Why do we have him there? Ever since this guy was drafted, I've always loved him. And, you know, just look at his game. He's 
basically he's he's mature he's precocious he's a player at 21 years old that can control the game in any way and he's just one of the game's top playmakers and he's just my pick for mvp i to do what he's doing at his age is just so impressive and he's up there in the top five he can compete he can bring his team to victory and i have all confidence in the world that he's going to continue this play throughout his career yeah there's no question that he's again and as we mentioned he's 21 only he had a he was very lucky he played started playing pro ball when he was really young in europe and he kind of had that extra competitive nature by playing against a lot of guys that were a lot older than him and they, he, he's been, he's become very mature because of that. And I think what we've been seeing from him is that maturity to be able to lead at the, and lead the Mavericks. And he's kind of, he is leader on that team and he's only 21 years old and he's been able to prove it through his play as well. Not just his numbers, 28, nine and eight so far this season, but just the way he controls the floor, the way he, he, he is a threat out there because as we've seen, he, every defender goes on a lot of his first moves because they are afraid of what he can do. He's able to find players on the opposite side of the court. He's got great vision. He can shoot. He's got solid defense as well. On top of that, I I just think he's an all around great player and he's still growing. So there's a lot of potential as well. I definitely respect this pick as well. I don't know. I I was debating putting Luca. Um, I definitely do have him high up there for MVP as Jack, uh, as Jack mentioned before. It's just if you look at his numbers so far this season, they have t- his shooting numbers have definitely taken a big dip. Um, that so, kind of um, gives me a iffy feeling. I don't know. I, we would think like, or I would think that he would like improve on um, what he's already built on with his great career so far, two three years. But yeah, I, I hope um, the with Porzingis out, he can still lead this team pretty effectively and maybe raise these numbers up a bit more but definitely one of my favorite players um in the league right now and uh very very respected yeah for sure so now we're going to move into the top three players in the nba kenny who is number three at three it was a little a little difficult for me i this guy i don't know the name could definitely rotate with any of the two with Kawhi or Giannis that i've already mentioned um at three i have anthony davis similar to Kawhi and, and Giannis for that matter i don't think i covered uh Giannis's defense that much but um is a very rare case 610 can probably guard one to five um that all like uh annual like deploy a candidate um and his offensive game is just something we don't really see too much from someone over six nine, six ten. Um, can shoot the ball, can handle the ball, pretty pretty skilled in the post. Um, his free throw numbers have taken a huge dip this year. It's hanging around like 66, 70 percent. Um, but he's one of the better big men shooters in the league, and um, I think he's definitely going to be a key part for the Lakers this season to repeat. And LeBron is very very lucky to have this type of talent on his side right now. Yeah, I mean that's a great pick but he did not fall into our top five. We have Kevin Durant. You pick AD, we pick KD. And, you know, despite coming off the Achilles tear, this year KD has proven that he can still compete at a high level, and he's still an MVP candidate. He's resuming. He's just back to where he left off, averaging around 28 points per game, and has proven time in and time again that he's one of the most unstoppable scorers in the league at his height as a seven footer to shoot over defenders. And, and we see his resume as well. He's, he's a champion. I know it's, 
it's tough to say given, you know, people call him a snake, cupcake, whatever you want to say, but his resume speaks for himself and he's a scoring champ and it's good to see him back in the league this year. No, yeah, he's one of the pure scorers in the game and he's one of the best we've seen in the past decade plus. And, you know, he's had a tough career, you know, he's gotten a lot of criticism for leaving OKC to the Warriors, as you said, called a snake cupcake. He had the Achilles tear, but he's defied all of that. He has come back and he's just played his game. He hasn't cared what people have said and he's just going out and playing ball. And that's what he's done his entire career. And right now in Brooklyn, they're building something special there. Steve Nash, Kyrie, Katie, they are building something special there. And he's going to be a major part in that. And if he can keep playing like he is, he's going to lead that team to championships. And he, he deserves this top three spot. And I, I think I think he could become – and we're going to mention our next two players in a little bit, but I think these top three players can kind of flip-flop really wherever, and there's a, there's a good argument for any of them to be at any of these top three positions. Yeah, for sure, Matt. And um, I hope I'm not rushing into anything, but I feel like uh, your points just now perfectly – go into my number two pick because I do have Kevin Durant as my number two player in the league right now. Uh, you guys basically covered it. I mean, just his scoring ability at seven foot is just crazy to see. Creating space with his ball handling, just finishing in the paint. is all around three level score, one of the best three level scores we've ever seen. And I'm very happy to see him back on the court. He's defying the odds, the Achilles tear. Everyone was worried about it. And then right like before the season even start, we see like workout videos on social media and it's like Kevin Durant's back it's going to be a scary sight, and indeed it is. It's it's crazy. Brooklyn as a team as a whole, too, as well. Like, not only Kyrie, but top to bottom, that roster is loaded, and they are a true threat in the East. And with Kevin Durant playing the way he is, I, I don't see uh, – I have no idea how far they're going to go. That's, that's up to Kevin Durant, and I'm, I'm sure they have a lot in store, though. So, yeah, Kevin you know, Durant is my number two. They're, they're a scary team, and as you said, you know, top to bottom. Jack and I talked about this earlier. I think it was in our first episode – um we were talking about finals picks and Brooklyn was one of them because you know one of their top players from last year Karis LeVert he's now on the bench giving them a lot more freedom but you know that's a conversation for another day for us we've got Giannis and you know you you talked about this you know he's got one he's got the perfect build for an NBA player he's one of the most dominant players in the paint and you know he does have some improvement as you said he doesn't really have a jump shot but he's reigning defensive player of the year, MVP candidate almost every year. Um, if he can improve his offense, he, he could be number one in the NBA, no question. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of potential there. He's still young. And if he can develop more, he's going to become a superstar, like that almost no one can stop. Yeah, we have Giannis at two. He's just, he's proven, yes, he's one of the best, but I agree with you, Kenny, he's, hasn't really proven that he can win. And, you know, I think that's the next step for Giannis if he wants to be considered the best player in the league. He hasn't won a championship. He hasn't brought his team very far in the playoffs. But with his heart and his frame and everything he does on a basketball court, he's just the skill he has and the talent he has, it's just unmatched. And given his physical frame – it just is impossible to guard. But again, I think you made raised very good points 
Kenny, um, he's not a champion. He doesn't seem, obviously he, he has the will and desire to win. And he also needs to develop that jump shot. I think once that guy starts shooting threes, I, I think it's game over. No question. And, you know, yeah, look, yeah. you know, um, just real quick, I think one thing that I've noticed this season, and he's, he's starting to rely a little bit more on his teammates this year. And I think he's becoming more of, you know, he's not, the Bucks are not Giannis. I feel like Giannis is still the superstar. There's no question he's the best player on the team, but he's not doing everything himself. He's letting his teammates take some of the burden. And I think that's going to help him because if you can start getting Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday to start, you know, becoming major threats, that's going to open up the floor for him more. And that could give him a little bit more room. And I think that's what he needs. If he can come up with some more room, he's got a little less pressure on himself. He's not carrying the team on his back. He, that might be able to help him get that extra boost and he can start working on those other parts of his game and possibly become the number one player in the NBA. That's a great point, Matt. I just wanted to quickly mention that um, in the Bucks blowout win against the Heat where they won by 40 plus points, Giannis only had nine points. So that's a perfect, just a perfect um, support for your point, Matt. Like the Bucks are not just Giannis. Middleton and Drew Holiday are definitely great supporting cast. Uh, Brooke Lopez as well is great stretch five. Yeah, so like you said, Giannis has all the room to improve, and hopefully with time, or maybe not. Hopefully, I I'd like to the Bucks to you know continue choking the playoffs personally, um, but you know Giannis still has a lot of time to develop, and definitely will be a scary sight once he gets that jumper down. The Bucks' success is Giannis's success, and I think that really dictates where we rank him on lists like this. Although, yeah, last couple of years, for sure, Bucks have obviously been at the top of the East. But for playoff performances, really, for the Bucks, I you can't say that Giannis has really, really performed that well in the playoffs. You know, and, you know, that's something that we're going to have to watch for. And he's going to have to prove everybody wrong and come out with that. But let's move on. And, you know, I'm going to assume that we all have the same person as the number one player in the NBA. Kenny, who do you have? Yeah, I was going to say, it's hard for me to believe that uh, from the bench would have LeBron James outside of their top five. Randall, the King. Julius, Julius, I mean, he hasn't been playing well this season, but we're, we're talking about the King. <laughs> we got LeBron. We got LeBron. Yeah. Don't worry, Kenny, why do you yeah. have LeBron? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just year in, year out, I, I find it hard to believe that one guy alone can bring success by himself to any team. Um, sure, his first year with the Lakers was a bit of a an off year. I mean, he didn't play as many games as he usually does in a season, but LeBron James can, I can confidently say, can carry any sort of roster to a finals appearance. And that is just very rare to find. I mean, the things he does on and off the court, we, we could go all day about what he does off the court, but just sticking to the basketball really quick, just at the age like 36 ish, 37, like, Oh, his playmaking, 36, right? Playmaking is amazing. Comparable to Magic, I, I compare him to Magic, to be honest. Of course, he's still, like, putting up solid rebounding numbers. And especially with Anthony Davis on the floor, he doesn't have to focus too much on scoring. But um, he still can do that. He can still drive in the paint, you know, find his way to finish around and through defenders. And I just, I just love watching LeBron play. Definitely one of the best players to watch in NBA history. Adding on to that, you know, undoubtedly, he's number one, and he's been number one for a long time. And I think something we need to applaud about LeBron is he's adjusted his game with his age. 
and it may seem like he hasn't lost the explosiveness, but he has developed a jump shot and more of a post game than he had earlier in his career. And he's added to his toolbox. This is what makes him so good. And, you know, he's not the same player every year. And he can bring something new to the game every single time he's out there on the floor. And he's just a unique player. And at his age, like you said, to do what he's doing is insane. And he's just the best player in the world. You know, there's no question about it. And, you know, one thing that you can always say about LeBron, no matter how old he is, what team he's on, who he has around him, what situation in the game, you put the ball in his hands and he will make something happen. And we know that and we've seen that throughout his entire career, no matter where it is, whether it's the finals, in the playoffs, during the middle of the regular season, no matter what, he plays basketball because he wants to win and he loves the game. He is one of the best athletes that we've ever seen as well. And he 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 just has everything. You know, there's no weakness to his game. The only weakness he has is his age and his career is going to come to an end at some point. I don't know when he could probably play forever, you know, knowing him, but he, he is one of the best athletes, one of the best to ever play the game. I like that comparison that you had to magic. It's a good um, comparison there. He's going to go for a long time and it's going to be tough to dethrone the King off the top of the rankings. I'll tell you that. But yeah, so I think we had a good conversation there. There's a lot of different picks there, obviously, except for, Number one, and you know, we mentioned this earlier for especially for the top three, you can really rotate any of them around depending on how well they play. But as of right now, the king remains the king and he stays on the throne. But Kenny, thank you so much for joining us. The first official guest on the bench. Yes, of course. It was an honor, man. It was an honor. But yeah, so all right, so now let's move away from the hard court and to the diamond. We're going to talk about the MLB. You know, we talked about the Mets-Lindor trade earlier. And Jack, let's start off with our first power rankings in the MLB. We're going to do our top 10. Um, we're going to go 10 through 6, give a couple um, points about some of the reasons why we put some teams there. And then we'll get a little more in-depth onto those top five uh, rankings. So, Jack, I'll start here and go on. 10 through 6, I've got the Oakland Athletics at 10, Toronto Blue Jays at 9, Tampa Bay Rays 8, Chicago White Sox 7, and my New York Mets at 6. And two of the teams I'm going to highlight, one of them is the New York Mets. And we already talked about their huge trade for Francisco Lindor earlier in the show. Um, That's huge because one of the things that um, the Mets have always needed is an owner that's willing to spend money and an owner that's willing to get what they need in order to win now. And that's something that Steve Cohen has brought. And I think he's brought a lot of energy. A lot of players and teams have realized this. You know, we've talked about Trevor Bauer. He's been really high on the Mets so far. He's one of the big free agents that could possibly come. And, you know, after this Lindor and Carrasco trade, he loves it. Like he loves, I'm not sure if he's going to go because of the high price tag, but the Mets are a really up and coming team. They've already got a lot of solid pieces, but with adding Francisco uh, Lindor and possibly two or three more players this off season, they could be really big. And another team I wanted to mention was the Chicago White Sox. 
And, you know, they made the playoffs last year in the COVID season. They've got one of the best young cores in the league, a solid pitching staff, solid lineup. They just need to fix some holes and they can move up and become real contenders in the future. Yeah, those are those are great picks there, Matt. And again, I'm sorry, Matt, but I have the Mets at number 10, White Sox, number nine, Rays at eight, Blue Jays at seven and the Athletics at six. Um, so the two teams I thought I would highlight are the Rays. Uh, given I'm a Yankees fan with the AL East, you know, it's a stacked division. And the Rays are still one of the best, still have one of the best pitching staffs in the league, despite losing Snell this offseason. And the Blue Jays, it's one of the best young teams in the MLB. And, and they just need pitching help. And I think they are going after Springer. And if he signs with this ball club, I think it really will propel them to being a real contender in the AL East and the AL. You know, for sure. They're definitely two of the best teams in the AL. And they're some they're teams to watch coming onto this season, coming off of a very successful uh, 2020 COVID shortened season. Let's see if they can transition and go into a full 160 uh, three-game season this year. And now, Jack, let's get a little more in-depth. We're going to go to our top five. Jack, who do you have at number five? I have the Braves. Um, I think their pitching staff is uh, well-equipped, and I think they have the bats to really contend in this league with Acuna and Freeman. Um, and I think they are going to be a tough team to beat. You know, and I've got the Minnesota Twins. They, they have become one of the most consistent playoff teams in the last three years. They've been very good. They've won one of the best power-hitting lineups in all of baseball. They have been really solid there, but you know, they still need pitching help. They got Kenta Maeda last year and he was a really big piece for their rotation, but they still need some more help. And also they need, they need to fill a couple holes in their lineup on top of that. But if they can just get those couple pieces, they can be contenders in the AL. But you said you got the Braves at five. I've got them at four. And you hit a lot of the main points. They've got one of the best young teams in baseball, you know, not just Acuna, but Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson. They've got a good young rotation um, with Mike Soroka, who has been absolutely amazing, and Max Fried, who had a great 2020 season. They are definitely the front runners in the NL East. They are going to get some competition from the Mets this year if they can continue to build up um, their team. But no, they're definitely one of the best teams to watch and one of the top teams in the entire MLB. Yeah, for sure. And I, I have the Twins at four, and I think you covered a lot of those main points in terms of uh, they have a hole there with their pitching, but they have one of the best power hitting lineups in baseball and uh, see what happens. But my pick at three, and this might be controversial, but I have the Padres at three and, you know, yes, they had put together great offseason off season acquisitions with you Darvish and Blake Snell. And they've added to a squad that, you know, I guess, will ultimately work up the list of this power ranking. But I couldn't place them above the Yankees. All right, now, I've got your Yankees at number three because, you know, that's where they belong. They're not the number two team in baseball. They're the number three team in baseball. And there are a couple reasons for that. You know, they got Garrett Cole, but behind Garrett Cole, they really don't have much behind him in that rotation. Tanaka's not guaranteed to come back. He's a free agent right now. Their bullpen is very solid, and they lost DJ LeMahieu, who was the AL MVP last year. Now, if they can bring those two back, I could possibly see them moving him to number, moving them to number two ahead of the Padres. But right now, they don't have what it takes 
They need to get LeMahieu back or sign like Trevor Story, but they got to do one of those things because the Yankees just don't have the team that the Padres have right now. If you look at the Padres, they're my number two team right now. Their rotation is stacked. And we talked about this in the last episode. The Padres rotation, they picked up uh, both you Darvish and Blake Snell, two Cy Young uh, award candidates. And they also picked up Mike Clevenger last year, another Cy Young award candidate. They got Chris Paddock and Mackenzie Gore, two of the best young pitchers in all of baseball. They are going to be contending for the best starting rotation. They also have Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, and the rest of the team. There are very little holes in this Padres team. They're young, they're feisty, and they want to compete. And they've got all, they've got a chip on their shoulder from the past couple of years when they haven't had any success. They're ready, they're hungry and they are going to dominate the MLB this year. It's the New York Yankees. You know, it, they have a winning culture there. And I think, you know, despite, yeah, you made great points about the Padres. They have a stacked roster. But in baseball, there have been plenty of teams that have put together teams like this and haven't been successful. And I think you can't just throw a team like this together. Take the Mariners, for example. A couple of years ago, with they threw together Cano, Nelson Cruz, Ichiro, and we all thought, okay, well, this is game over, you know, given the fact that they have the stacked roster with, you know, brand names and all this stuff. But the Yankees have team chemistry. They have a team that's already established. But sure, yes, they have their weaknesses in pitching. But, and I think also, you raise another good point. It's dependent on the signing of DJ LeMahieu and whatever they do after that. But the Yankees are a better team. They're already established. Padres have a lot to prove. And I don't feel comfortable placing them at their number two spot because they haven't proven anything to me yet. All right. Good job. Good job, Jack. You've defended your team. Now, I think after hearing the other teams, I think we can both agree that the Los Angeles Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I'm assuming that you have the Dodgers there. No, I have the Mets. Ah, uh, very funny. All right, Jack, why do you think the Dodgers are the best team in baseball? I mean, they're the perennial number one team in the league for the last couple of years, and they just have it all. I mean, they're the reigning champs, and there's not much to say. It's like in our last segment how we all agreed that LeBron's the best player. We all know who he is. We all know what they bring to the table. There's not even much to say about the Dodgers. It's just they bring greatness to the table every year and they have great players and that's not going to stop anytime soon. You know, they've got a great team. Um, there's really no holes in their lineup and we've heard rumors that they're also in on DJ LeMayhew and that would scare me a lot. If the Dodgers get DJ LeMayhew, it's game over. I think they've won the world series already, but no, they, as you said, they've been one of the best teams in baseball for the past couple of years. Uh, they've put a great team together. They haven't given up a lot of their prospects. They've let them grow, and they have really done a great job building this team from top to bottom. And once again, they are the front runners for the World Series. Yeah, I mean, there's again, there's not much more to say. Like you said, I would be very, very sad if DJ Mayhu goes to the Dodgers. I yep. I don't know what I'd do, honestly. Yeah, it's... I don't think there would be any reason to watch baseball at that point because we already know who would have won. But, um, but yeah, you know. That's the great thing about baseball. Anything can happen. It's a long season, and I'm excited for it. So 
that's the end. We're going to sign off here from the bench. Great episode. Thanks again to Kenneth Lamb for joining us. And uh, we hope to have him back here soon. Make sure to follow us on socials, on Instagram at underscore from the bench underscore and Twitter from the bench too. And we look forward to next week's episode and giving you sports content throughout the week. See you guys later.